Thank you, Ava. That was awesome. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be here with you guys again today. I have uh, gotten the joy of doing youth ministry for a while, and there are some good lessons that I've learned in the midst of doing youth ministry. And one of the most important lessons that I've learned is that your youth are cheaters. Now, what I mean by this is I have planned over hundreds of games, probably thousands of games in the course of doing youth ministry, and they could be as complex as uh, just, you know, intricate relay races to very simple rock, paper, scissors, right? And it doesn't matter what game I'm doing, it is guaranteed that some youth is going to try to break the rules or bend the rules as far as possible to win. It just happens every single time. In fact, when I'm coming up with a new game especially, I have to start thinking, all right, how are the youth going to try to get around whatever rules I'm putting in place here? An example, a great example, uh, just a couple nights ago, we had a youth event out on the lawn. It was at at night, and we were playing Capture the Flag, and I had gotten a bunch of glow sticks to put on each team member so you would know who's on what team. You know, you've got different colors, whatnot. And so as I was, you know, setting up the rules, Uh, I was intentional about saying you have to wear the glow stick around your neck because I knew that if I did, if I just said, hey, here's the glow stick, put it on, they would either uh, hide it under their clothes or bury it somewhere so that, you know, they wouldn't be seen, right? And I had one youth who actually was going to the bathroom while I was explaining the rules. And so in the middle of the game, I noticed that his glow stick could barely be seen. It was underneath his jeans right over here. I'm like, hey, that's against the rules. They're like, I didn't know that. I did it here so no one can see me. Isn't that great? I'm like, I understand that, but you don't have any fun playing these games if you keep trying to skirt around the rules. It doesn't matter what game. I know that kids like to break rules. But it's not just kids, right? My guess is there are those of you in here, adults, who love to be, you are those rule pushers, right? You will break the rules. Raise your hand if you are one of those people who are always trying to find a way around the rule or break it, why not? So, all right, way to be honest. I know there's probably many more of you out there. And then on the flip side, there are some of you who are appalled that someone would actually try to break the rules. You are those rule followers, right? Raise your hand if you're a rule follower. All those Enneagram ones out there. that, that, that there's kind of split, that you have those who are rule followers and are, who are aghast and who are, uh, can't believe that anybody should break the rules and that you should be punished if you, if you break the rules. And, and in the midst of all this, I can bring us all together on one thing. We are all rule followers at a stop sign. When I say that is, we all want everyone else to be rule followers at a stop sign. I don't know, I'm guessing you've all experienced this, where you've come to a stop sign and maybe you just went sooner than you should have, right? The looks and the gestures that you get for a simple little mistake, right? And on the flip side, if someone goes, when, goes first when you should have gone first, you're like, man, that person should have known, right? It's a rule breaker. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is addressing rules. Addressing God's laws, and as we get into this today, I wanted to, uh, it's fascinating to see what Jesus was talking about, but before we get too far in, let's just stop and pray, and then we'll jump back in. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come down and that you would anoint us this morning, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that you would teach us, that you would draw us closer t- to, the, to the Son and to the Father. Be with us this morning, and may this time glorify you. Amen. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, 
and just again to put, set the stage here, he is up on a hillside over the, the Sea of Galilee, and he is gathered there with his disciples and the crowds that followed. So not only are his disciples there, but the, um, the people surrounding the Sea of Galilee have gathered. And with that, I'm sure there were many um, Pharisees and religious leaders also who have gathered to learn more about this man who has been doing these, uh, that's been here about these teachings and, and a miracle and all of that. And so Jesus begins to teach them. And last week, Sylvester uh, covered the first part of chapter 5 in Matthew with the Beatitudes. And how Jesus is beginning to change things up when he talks about who is blessed and who is going to be receiving the kingdom. And then Jesus begins to address a misconception about him. Where it seems that some were beginning to follow him or accuse him of, of being a rule breaker when it comes to God's rules. The, the law of Moses, the Torah. And so Jesus wants to address this. And, and he says, he goes, I have not come, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So let's look at the law that Jesus is referring to so we can kind of understand here. Because Jesus was notorious for breaking laws of the Sabbath. Um, and, and I'll get into that in just a little bit. But the Jewish people had kind of two different sets of law. You had the written tradition, which was the written Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then you have the prophets in there as well, so the law and the prophets, so the scripture that they had. And then they also had the oral tradition, which has now become Talmud, if you ever heard of the word, the Talmud. So this was an oral tradition back then where... Um, the Jewish people believed that not only did Moses get the written tablets and the written word from God, but he also got an oral tradition from God. And part of that oral tradition came the interpretation of the religious leaders over the years on that law. And so, for example, they knew the law of the Sabbath where the Ten Commandments said, that shall not work on the Sabbath, right? You shall do no work on the Sabbath. All right, sounds simple. Then define work. How do you define work? What is work? What is not work? Because if I don't want to break God's law, I need to know what work is. So the religious leader over the year, leaders over the years had set up laws and descriptions of what work is. So let me give you some examples of what work is. Writing was um, work. You could not write unless you were just writing one letter of the alphabet. You could do one letter of the alphabet, then you were fine. You could not erase anything so that to where you could then write more. You couldn't do any erasing, you couldn't do any writing. You could not, under the, the rules of the, the oral tradition, you could not put together a bouquet of flowers in your house. You could not water, put water in any vase that had flowers in it. You could not tie or untie something, so make sure you don't wear shoes that you need to tie on the Sabbath. You could not cut or rip anything. You could not clip your nails during the Sabbath. That was work. You couldn't actually, in, in the, uh, even in today, for those Orthodox Jews who are following it, you couldn't get a haircut even an hour before the Sabbath because if the scissors broke and they would need to be fixed, that would then be work on the Sabbath. So not even on the Sabbath, an hour before the Sabbath, you could not get your haircut. You could not make or extinguish a fire, which is really hard for baking, but in Jesus' time, that means the candles that would need to be lit for the Sabbath had to be lit before the Sabbath started because you could not light them during the Sabbath. 
You could not tune an instrument. No strenuous activity. There's only so far that you could walk. You could only carry a chair so far. Um, all sorts of different little rules of how they defined work. One of those, you, you couldn't heal on the Sabbath unless it was life or death. Jesus broke that one many times. So you had all these what I would call buffer rules around God's rules. And Jesus is coming here and saying, hey, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In fact, he goes on and he says, not one little stroke of a pen of the law will go away until everything is accomplished. And the Greek there talks about, in our language, it would be the dot of an I or the stroke of a T. They said, that law will not go away. I am not abolishing it, but I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to fulfill it. Now, I don't want to get too harsh on the Pharisees and the religious leaders who created all these buffer laws because we do the same thing in our community, in our culture. I heard of a Christian college, who, and I don't know if they have this rule anymore, but at one point they had a rule at this Christian college that, of course, they had time set of when men and women are, you know, could be together in, a, uh, in the dorm rooms. Uh, most of the time that was off limits, but there was a short amount of time during the day where that they could be in the same dorm room. However, if the uh, two were sitting on a bed, you had to have three out of the four feet of the couple on the floor. That was the rule. You had to have three out of the four feet on the floor because that would prevent you for, uh, prevent the, the people from laying down in the bed together, which could lead to other things, which could lead to other things. You get the point, right? So again, it's one of these buffer rules because we're trying to follow God's, God's rules. We're trying to be holy and obedient and everything, so we're going to create these buffer rules to prevent us from doing this, right? And the religious leaders had created all of these buffer rules. And the thing is, is these rules also controlled the people. And I, you had all of these people who began to hear about Jesus and that he was beginning to push back on some of these rules. And so the crowds were following him, thinking that maybe this is someone who can give us relief from this religious system that is so oppressive with all its rules. And so Jesus says, hey, to all you people who think I'm coming to, to set you free from the law, I'm not coming to set you free from the law. In fact, all of it or I will fulfill all of it. There's none of it that's going to go away. And the Pharisees and all the rule followers there were like, yes, see, we've been trying to follow the rules. We've been telling them it's important. See, Jesus, Jesus has it right. And I can see all of the crowds groaning because Jesus says, I, I'm not abolishing the rules. But then he goes on and he says, in fact, to get into the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness, your rule following has to be even better than the Pharisees. Now it's the Pharisees' turn to groan a little bit. Like, how is this possible? No one is that perfect. No one can follow all of these little rules and be perfect. There's no chance for any of us to get into heaven. So Jesus begins to expand on the law. And this is part of this scripture in here that a lot of you are familiar with. And I call it the, um, you have heard it said, but I tell you part of scripture where Jesus says, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this. 
You've heard it said that to commit murder, you shall be subject to judgment, which means that you, your life would be forfeit. But I tell you this. In fact, he kind of begins to change things up. He says, you've heard it said murder, but I tell you even if you're angry with someone, that's the same thing. You've heard, you've heard it said that it's wrong to commit adultery, but I tell you that even if you look at, at someone with lust, that's the same thing as committing adultery. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, if someone strikes you on one side of your face, turn the other side and let them strike you there. It's almost like Jesus is contradicting himself here a bit. He says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. However, this is what the law says, and I'm telling you that's not what the law says. So is Jesus lying here? Is he confused? What's going on? I want to, if you permit me a, a moment of teaching here right now, I want to address what I think one of the larger misconceptions when it comes to Christianity, especially the Bible. Because of this section of Scripture where Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you this, a lot of people have, have come to the understanding that Jesus kind of has negated the Old Testament because of these. That we don't need to follow all the rules of the Old Testament. We don't need to study them. In fact, we can just kind of push the Old Testament aside and just focus on the New Testament because Jesus has made it obsolete. The irony is, right before he says this, Jesus says the exact opposite. I'm not making this obsolete. I'm going to fulfill it all. So let me try to get to what Jesus is, is doing here. And I want to give you a, a kind of a lens to, to look at the Old Testament with. The Old Testament is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. The Old Testament is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. God, in his grace, knows that we can be hard-headed and we know that we aren't the smartest sometimes, and so he gave us a physical picture of how the spiritual world works and how the spiritual world works in your life and in my life. Have you ever wondered or questioned why God did some of the things that he did in the Old Testament? Why some of the rules that he put in place are like, why God, why does that rule matter? Let me give you an example here of what I mean of this physical picture of a spiritual reality. Let's look at yeast in Scripture, in the Old Testament especially. In the book of Exodus, we find God implementing the yeast of unleavened bread as they are leaving um, the slavery and getting out of Egypt. And God says that during this feast, anyone who has yeast in their household at all, if they find any yeast in their household at all, that person is to be kicked out of the nation of Israel. And so every year when they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if there's any yeast found in anybody's household, that person is to be kicked out of the nation of Israel. God didn't say if anybody just happened to bake something with yeast in it, they should be kicked out. He didn't say that, or eat something with yeast in it, they should be kicked out. No, he said, if any of it is found anywhere in your, in, in your household, I would be paranoid that somewhere in the back of my kitchen cupboards there'd be a little package of yeast that I didn't get, out, get rid of, right? And I, I'd be like, God, how is that, why is it such a big punishment if I have a little bit of yeast left in my house that I'm not using? I'm not, I'm not touching it during the week. And so you understand the severity of this punishment. If you are kicked out of the nation of Israel, one, you're kicked out of, away from your family, your land, your career, 
And the biggest thing is your salvation. Being kicked out of the community and losing your salvation over a little bit of packet of yeast that you left in your household that you forgot of. Why would God, who is a loving and gracious God, put, ye, uh, put this law in there? Well, we see in the New Testament, Jesus speaking to us about yeast and how it relates to sin. That sin works the same way yeast does. That you can't put a little bit of yeast into a batch of dough and only just that little part rise. It makes a whole batch rise. So whether it's a little bit of yeast or a lot of yeast, it affects the entire batch at the same time. Sin works the same way. We like to think it doesn't. We like to think that I can have a little bit of sin in this compartment of my life and over here and everything that I'm doing over here, that's all for God. And I just have a little bit of sin over here and that's fine, I'm keeping that contained. But the reality is a little bit of sin here affects all your life. The little bit of sin in my life affects my entire life. It's like yeast. So God is saying back in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have a little bit of sin in you and you are not fit to be part of my kingdom. You have to be out of my kingdom. I am a perfect, holy God. You have a little bit of sin in you. You are not perfect. It's not a almost perfect. It's are you imperfect or are you perfect? Yeast is, in the Old Testament, a physical picture of a spiritual reality. All throughout the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament with that lens, it'll begin to come to life to you if you struggle with the Old Testament. So let's see what Jesus is doing here with these laws through this lens. So he says, eye for an eye. You've heard it said eye for an eye, but I tell you to turn the other cheek. Jesus is not getting rid of eye for an eye. In the same sermon, just a couple chapters later, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, and we'll get to that, so I don't want to spoil it too much, but we know it, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? Doesn't that sound a little bit like eye for an eye? Tooth for a tooth? Forgive me as I forgive others. It's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, just in reverse. Later on in the sermon, Jesus talks about judging. He says, the same measure that you judge others, that measure will come back to you. So no longer worry about the physical judgment. I'll take care of that. The spiritual judgment, the eye for an eye, the law of eye for an eye is there spiritually in how you forgive people and how you judge people. God never abolished eye for an eye with Jesus. He's fulfilling it with Jesus. We'll get to that. And then he goes to um, adultery says, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. All right. I have never gone and cheated on my wife. Great. And then Jesus goes on and says, if you've ever looked at someone with lust, it's like you've committed adultery. Whoa. I mean, I know what it means to not do, physically do the act, right? But now you're judging my vision, my eyesight, my intent. That's a whole different standard. Jumping back to murder. He says, you know it's wrong if you murder, you know you should be subject to judgment, but those of you who have anger, unrighteous anger and hate 
towards someone else, that is the same thing as if you killed them in God's eyes. The same punishment would apply. Jesus is taking things from the physical picture and moving them to the spiritual side, to the heart of the matter, where none of us live up. Whether you're a rule follower or not a rule follower. None of us live up to the standard of the law that Jesus is laying down. What I, in the crowd, when I mentioned that they were groaning at one point, I think they all began to just stop looking, start looking down and maybe looking away and maybe even leaving a little bit. Who can live up to this standard? If the motivations and the intent of your heart was laid bare, how would you fare before God and before men? Jesus is going after this system of law that has governed the people, and he's saying none of you can even come close to to meeting the law requirements of my Father. You think you can do it with all these, these buffer laws, but that has nothing to do with it. Your heart, your words, and your actions, they're all judged. Jesus ends this section when he talks about love. He says, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you that you should love your enemy. It's like anyone can love those who are nice to them. That's easy, but love those who hurt you, love those who persecute you, love those who annoy you, love those who are difficult to love. That's who you're supposed to love. That's the standard. And then he finishes with a line that just shot right to the heart to everybody who was listening. listening. He says this, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Think about your lives. If you were listening to this part of the Sermon on the Mount right now, how would you be feeling? I don't know about you, but it, there's, I mean, other than the fact that I know how the story ends, there'd be no hope for me. No hope. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say this, and I want, to catch, I want to make sure you catch this wording. Jesus doesn't say, live perfectly as my heavenly Father lives perfectly. Or act perfectly as my heavenly Father acts perfectly. He says, no, be. To the core of your being, let it be perfection. Let there be nothing wrong with it. And there's not one of us in here who can say that we can do that. Or that we are that. And this wasn't a suggestion from Jesus. He wasn't saying, hey, you should think about living this way. This is an imperative, a command. Jesus is commanding those in the crowd, he's commanding us to be perfect. To be perfect as Jesus Christ is perfect. And friends, there is no way we can do that. Yet that is what we are commanded to do. To be So Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. 
And he does that. He does that on the cross. See, the law, the requirements of the law is death if you're not perfect. And we're not perfect. So to fulfill the law, death should occur. And so Jesus, in his grace, as well as his truth, in his grace, he fulfills the law by dying for you and I. That, my friends, is the greatest news ever. That is where we have hope. That is where we get joy because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Not to say the law doesn't matter. He says the law matters so much it won't go away. But because it won't go away and you can't meet it, I will take your place. I will die for you. I will fulfill the law because you can't and I can't. The Old Testament isn't going away. The laws there aren't going away. God's standard of righteousness is not lowered. It is not less. It is not going away. And friends, we can enter the kingdom of heaven because we have a righteousness that is greater than the Pharisees and the scribes. It's greater than any rule follower out there. It is the righteousness of Jesus himself that comes down and rests upon our shoulders and that covers up our sins. We are washed by his blood. We are seen as clean and every time that I am not perfect, which is daily or minute by minute, by minute, the blood of Jesus washes over me again. And I can be perfect in my Father's eyes. Today, the message is simply this. It's not anything new, but it's important. That in God's eyes, none of us live up to his mark, his standard, his righteousness, his perfection. We try, a lot of us put on faces, we try to act and do the right things, but we can't do it. We can't be perfect. But Jesus was, and he is, and he will be tomorrow in his perfection if you put your hope and trust in him. And friends, if there's any of you out there who are, or who are watching today, who you have been struggling trying to meet even your own standard, let alone some high standard of some God out there. But you know that you keep failing and you need some sort of hope in your life. Jesus is that hope. Jesus is that hope. He will give you life. He will grant you forgiveness, not because God is just a, a loving, gracious God, but he is also a God of truth and he will meet the requirements of the law on your behalf. And he did it to, for each and every one of you. And if that is not a reason to stop and praise, I don't know what is. My friends, be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect in Jesus' perfection. Amen.